It was the biggest lottery jackpot ever won by an individual. Mavis Wanzik, 53, from Chicopee, Massachusetts, or as they say out there, Chicopee, Chicopee, Chicopee. She found she was the winner, the sole winner of that huge jackpot after her shift at Mercy Hospital in Springfield. She said, after learning that she was $758.7 million richer, I couldn't drive anywhere, I couldn't do anything. But after the stun wore off, she called Mercy Hospital, where she'd worked since she was 21, and she said, I'm not coming back. See ya. She took the lump sum payout, which yielded only a measly $336.4 million. She plans now to pay off a new car and to stay out of view. She says, I am going to go hide in my bed. Good advice. I wonder if you'd like to be in her shoes or maybe under her bed. What does she have that she didn't have a few weeks ago other than a third of a billion dollars? What does she have now? Some may suggest that she has just inherited what some people call the lottery curse. Consider the story of David Lee Edwards of Ashland, Kentucky. He won a measly $27 million in the Powerball of 2001. His win was, in his words, a poor man's dream. He said, I've made mistakes in my past, and though I can't change my past, I am going to do something positive with my future. I want to take this money with humility. I want this money to last for me, for my future wife, for my daughter, and for future generations. But unfortunately, as with many others who win such payouts, despite his good intentions, he did spend the money on three mansions, dozens of luxury cars, a Learjet. He spent 12 million bucks in the first year alone. And then by five years out, he was living in a storage unit. Now, I don't know whether you want to be in his shoes. I don't know what your dream is of your life. That was the poor man's dream, that he would get a lot of dough. As you and I think about what your dream is for your life, whether it might, what it might be to hit the lottery, and I do not recommend it, or to get that dream job, or to find that dream person that you're thinking about. It's a good idea to take a look at actually what you already have. For you may have more than you think. So here's the question of the day. The question is, what do you have? Now before we dive into that question, I wanna show you a couple of images along with the many others you've been looking at of what happened this past week in Texas. This one on the screen. Dwellings that were flooded with 19 trillion gallons of water. You know, that's a 2.6 mile cube full of water. It's something like 350 rose bowls full of water. It covers an area the size of Lake Michigan. I mean, it's just astounding numbers. But let's ring it down to the personal. Imagine if you're one of those thousands who are in a flooded dwelling and you gotta get out quick. Look at this couple that you see here. And it's up to your chest. And you think about what's valuable to you. And that's all they could carry in their arms. In normal times, whatever normal times are for you, you know, we tend to think that we don't have much. And some of us left, are left wanting much, much, much more. But in extreme times, when everything comes crashing in, when things are on the line, you may have way more than you think as you consider holding on to what you have. So again, there's the question, what do you have? How do you see your life? 
Is it a life of deprivation where you've been kind of deprived of stuff and you're always needing more? Or is it a life that's been marked by God's abundance? It may be the same level for one person or the other. One sees deprivation, the other sees abundance. Abundance which means that you're not constantly trying to get more, you're constantly trying to give stuff away. The question is, how do you have? How do you see things? Jesus asked that question of his disciples once, and as part of our summer message series that we've been looking at, it's been a lot of fun, questions Jesus asked. And in this case, it was his way of inviting the disciples to reflect on the needs of the people around them and the needs that they had and the value that was already in their lives and the value that he could add to their lives to meet their own needs as well as the needs of others. He asked that same question of us today. What do you have? So open your Bibles, if you will, either the one in front of you or one you brought, or you can pull out your smartphone. And if you don't yet have a Bible app, do it. I mean, it's great to be able to turn to it and looks up stuff for you and so on. Real help. Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Now let me set the scene for you as we begin because as a Canadian pastor once said a long time ago, a text without a context is a pretext. In other words, it's going to be a fake word from God. So let's take a look at where this is set in. So at age 30, Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit in the Jordan River. And then he is sent out by the Holy Spirit to be tested in the wilderness. He emerges announcing the good news of God, preaching it everywhere, healing the sick and casting out demons and inviting 12 men to join him in doing so, ultimately sending them out to do the very same things that he has been doing. And so now these 12 return to report on what's been happening in their new ministry. So looking at Mark chapter six and verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, this is just like Jesus. He listens to what people say to him, but he kind of understands a deeper meaning. The apostles are talking about all that's happened, all that was exciting, all that was scary, I'm sure, for them, all that was probably boring as they waited, everything, the good, the bad, and all that stuff. And then as they're talking, Jesus notices all the people who are flying around now looking not only for help from him, but now for help from them as well, so they can't even grab a bite to eat. And so as he looks and listens, not only to their words and their actions, but their insides, he finds out that although they're filled with joy and excitement, they'd love to get going again, he recognizes that they have some real needs. It's as if he's saying to them, what do you have? And even though they might say, hey, we got the power, we got you, let's go, let's do it, he recognizes that what they really have is exhaustion. They're just tapped out. And if they're going to be engaged in a long-haul life and ministry for him, they need to rest. And so that's when he says to them those beautiful words, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place so that you can get some rest. And so they went to one of the several places that Jesus used to withdraw to. In this case, most likely on the northeastern shore in the remote town of Bethsaida. They went there by boat. 
So today we've been doing a lot of pausing to reflect, and I want to do that with you right now. I want you to think about what you have, and particularly think about what your needs are. Jesus wants you to be noting your own need. Now you may think that's counter to the Christian message. It's not about me, it's, not, it's about him and it's about other people. Yeah, but he wants to meet your needs as well so that you can be serving him and meeting the needs of others. Now he's interested in more than just your wants or your wishes. Like the disciples who wanted more fun maybe, more fame, uh, more friends that they were making. Nothing wrong with wanting more of the good stuff per se, but he wants to go deeper than that. And he's certainly not interested in any of us who want more money, more sex, more power, all that kind of stuff. When that substitutes for our real needs, some of us may need some more money. Some of us may need some more personal power. But if it's substituting for our real needs, covering it over, or if it's going to get used in the wrong way, It can really mess us up, and he's not interested in helping us with that. But what he wants to do is to have us get in touch with our real needs. In the case of the disciples, it's the basics. They needed some food. They needed some quiet. They needed some time to reflect on what was going on. In your case and mine, it's probably much the same. Most of us are exhausted. Some of us are here for the first time because we've just come to college. You're probably just wiped out. And so you need a day to kind of rest and to reflect. And you need to find some true and real love in terms of people who will be there for you. And some of us here need some very real provision in our life. It may simply be that all we need is to have some quiet time with Jesus to reflect on that. And you know, Friday night, uh, I got up in the middle of the night and... uh, I went to spend some time in prayer and I was directed to Psalm 102. And it was sort of like reading what we read this morning when we kind of did that responsive reading from the book of Lamentations, which was about how the writer was really feeling distress. That's what the writer of Psalm 102 started to talk about. And as I started reading it, I started feeling this feeling coming up inside of me that kind of came up and then came out of my eyes. And um, I got in touch with my distress. As some of you know, Hallie and I are going through probably the most difficult period of our lives, either individually or, or together. And uh, I'm one of those guys that says everything's fine. I'm, I'm just fine. But at this moment, as I spent some time reading that psalm, it's as if the feelings came up and Jesus and I had an opportunity to address them. But you see, I'm not usually aware of those things. And if you're not aware of your real, real needs, you can be a pretty dangerous person because you're careening around kind of covering up for what's really going on. And you think you're gonna be helping other people and the reality is, as we'll probably see with the disciples, you're not helping other people, you're just helping yourself. That, that's me, I, I understand this. And if we're not get, letting God meet our real needs, then we're really not believers in that sense because God is interested in meeting just just the needs of everybody else, but interested in meeting the needs of us personally. So I want you to take a moment right now with Jesus as if he's asking you, what do you have? What do you need? What do you really need? It's like you're gonna answer that question that Pastor Tom looked at last week when Jesus said to the blind man Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Take a moment with Jesus and just ask the question, what do you need? What do you have?
So hold on to that need for a moment. Jesus is going to respond to it. We'll continue in the story. They head out by boat to Bethsaida, picking up at verse 32. They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Now I gotta say, isn't that the way life is when you wanna get away, you know, for a little time just for some R&R for yourself or you wanna go on a vacation or something? Something happens, doesn't it? You know, the phone rings or the kids act up or you get that call from work or those people stop over and say, hi, can we come and hang out? And you're saying to yourself, oh, I... Yeah, fine, sure, whatever. But what you really wanted was just to get away. So the disciples head out to rest, but many in the crowd noticed where they were going and then they told some other people along the shore so that they had an even bigger crowd when they gathered on the other side of the lake. And it's like, can't we get away from these people? Amazing. Now they were somehow, it, it took them longer to get across the lake than it took those people to run around the shore. And this isn't a small lake. So you kind of wonder what happened. And, and maybe they ran into an adverse wind and we know stories where there was storms that kicked up and stuff like that. They were going by sail. Or I think it may be that Jesus, who was observant, noticed that there were people coming around and they're converging on the very place that he intends to go and they're kind of you know, figuring out, okay, where's the boat gonna land and we're gonna be there when the boat lands. And I think he may have said, let's take the sails down. Let's just get a moment at least just to rest right here. I think that what may have been happening. But anyway, they get to the shore and there they are. And isn't that just the way it is with Jesus? He meets not only the disciples' needs by taking them away to get some rest, but he's going to meet the needs of the crowd around him. Because the disciples see the crowd as mere people, more ministry, but Jesus has compassion on them, he says, because they were like sheep in need of a shepherd. And in the days of Jesus, a sheep without a shepherd is a dead sheep. It's a sheep that's going to end up in destruction. And so he begins to shepherd them right away. He begins to teach them many things. Now in this case, it's like he's asking the crowd, what do you guys need? What do you have? And as you think of the people around you, now we, this morning we're thinking about the people all around us here, but I want you now to think about the people who are really close to you, the people who are in your life personally. And you wonder, what do they have? What do they need? Jesus asks us to note the needs of others, the people around us, the people who are with us in this life. And again, he wants us to note more than just their wants or their wishes. Like these folks who may have wanted another spiritual zap from Jesus. Do that thing that you do, Jesus. Or disciples, do that thing that you do for Jesus. Or again, it's not like maybe they need more money, more sex, more power, more whatever. He wants us to know the real needs of the people around us. That people that you know, they need compassion from the Good Shepherd, just like you do. Because let me tell you this, every single life has pain, has regret, has guilt and shame. 
Do not be deceived by outward appearances. I'm fine. I'm really doing well. Every life has needs for the compassion of the good shepherd. And every life, no matter how brilliant, no matter how self-sufficient, no matter how much they know everything, everything's all together, they got life figured out, every life needs teaching from the word of God, which meets many, many needs and corrects many errors and stops many of us from doing things that are disastrous and encourages us in doing things that are right. Because here's the deal, everybody's confused. We're all bozos on this bus. We don't know where we're going, but we know somebody who does, and some of us have in our hands a guide for getting there. Everybody's wandering around. Everybody is straying. That's the way life is. They have needs. There's a friend of mine who lives in Providence, and he has a small group that meets at his house, and he uses his house a lot for kind of gathering with friends in Christ. He reaches out to his neighborhood. But the guy who lives on one side of him is not easy to reach out to. He's kind of an angry kind of guy. And my friend noticed one day that as he would wave to the guys he drove by in the car that he would kind of look, be looking straight ahead and he didn't wave back. And So he thought, okay, I wonder if something's happened. So he went next door to kind of inquire, you know, hey, just checking in, you know, have we been too loud or something? And is there something that we've done? And that guy stood behind a screen door and just blasted my friend. You are such a joke, he said. You and your Christian friends, you're just a bunch of idiots and all you're in it for is the money and he just went on and on and on attacking my friends, uh, my friend, his wife, his children, just leveling them, bum, 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 coming through the door. My, my friend felt like he was shot and, and, and the, last, the last thing the guy says to him was, and get off my effing porch. I mean, it's like, whoa. In five minutes, he was just wasted. And, and, you know, when I saw him the other day, he was still kind of, kind of trembling about what that was. But I got to tell you, it's the nature of this guy because Jesus is in him. He's beginning to wonder, what are the needs that that man has? One thing he knows, guy's a Vietnam vet. And we have plenty of Vietnam vets who are just... They've dealt with all the trauma that was part of that war and that time in American history, but maybe this guy hasn't. Anyway, my friend is beginning to pray for him and his wife. I mean, they were angry, sure. They were upset that they got blasted, so they started to think about what the needs are. So take a moment with Jesus now. Think about people that are around you, and I'm talking about people that are close to you. Ask yourself, what do they have? And imagine Jesus asking them, what do they have? What does she need? What does he really need? Take a moment just to think about that. Okay, so now you've focused on your own need, and that may be unique for some of us because some of us are, are, are living in denial of what our real needs are, and and now we've got some needs of people that are around us, and that may be unique for some others of us because all we've ever been focused on is ourselves, and God's asking us to look at what the needs of other people are that are around us. But the story goes on in verse 35. Now, as the teaching session goes on and on and on that Jesus is doing, perhaps the disciples do start to note the needs of the crowd that's around them, but it probably is predicated on their own needs, as you'll see. By this time, it was late in the day, 
So his disciples came to Jesus. It's a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples recognize, okay, this crowd's hungry. But they respond more out of irritation, which suggests that their stomachs may be rumbling as well. They're not really responding out of compassion, I don't think. Asking Jesus instead to send the people away so that they can buy food for themselves. You get the idea here? Get them out of here. Now, I just got to say, have you ever tried asking Jesus to send annoying people out of your life? I, I just, I don't think it's a really good prayer. Because in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, I, I think he's gonna bring annoying people into your life to sharpen your own character and also to give you an opportunity to minister to those that he ministered to, which was people like us who drove him batty. That's part of his deal. So I would just say, don't even, don't even try that. Don't even try that prayer. And you know what? They're asking for the impossible, really. I'm not sure even Jesus could have pulled this off. Food for so many people, mostly poor people, from small villages at night. I don't think so. And in fact, Jesus has some other ideas of how he's going to meet their needs. Look at verse 37. Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. I think he said it with a smile. No, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And then the question, how many loaves do you have? You can see them going, loaves. Go and see. So when they found out, they said five and two fish. Jesus wants them to meet the need with him. Now, they first misunderstand what he's asking for. They're stuck in the retail mode, having to pay for the caterers. And I think it was Matthew, the tax collector, that figured it out. He was a tax collector. He was able to figure things. He said, that would take, that would take half a year's wages, 200 denarii, 200 days of laborers' wages. But there's that question Jesus is asking again. What do you have? In this case, asking it this way, how many loaves do you have? And in asking them to go and see, Jesus is clearly saying, I'm not interested just in what you guys have. I'm interested in what this crowd has. Now, the answer is ridiculous when compared to the need. Five loaves, oh yeah, and two little fish. Now, the loaves in those days weren't like Wonder Bread that you have on the shelf. You know, it has 20 slices and build strong bodies or whatever it does. They were these little things. An average man would eat three of them in a meal and two fish. And there are 5,000 men here, and as often is the case, the women and the children who are probably with them are not even mentioned. The list of resources is very small indeed, as it always is, isn't it, when you and I or other people around us have needs. Needs in Texas are huge. But it's amazing how some people always say to themselves, yeah, but I got some resources so I can at least do something. You see, sometimes you and I are like Jacob in the Old Testament or King David, counting our resources faithlessly. What do I got? What do I got? What do I got? Checking the balance, doing all that kind of stuff, making sure that we have everything we need, et cetera, et cetera, anxiously. But at other times, God wants us to consider the resources that we do have. He says, what do you have? And what they might be capable of doing with him. 
you and I might end up having more resources than you think you do. So what do you have? Jesus wants you and me to take stock, not just of our own needs or of the needs of others, but also the stuff, the resources that we have and how they can be used to help us and to help others. Notice that this story is not a story of Jesus simply just going, poof, here's your bread, come and get it. He uses stuff that's offered, right? And he uses the time and the energy of his disciples who are gonna do something and be part of this deal. That's the way he normally works with you. He doesn't just drop it out of the sky. That was very rare. Even in the case of manna in the Old Testament, they had to go and gather it. And so it's the same way with you. What do you have? What are your resources? Now again, it's not just your imagined resources. It's not just like, well, I'm playing the lottery and someday I'll win it, I'll make it big, and then I'll be able to do a lot for God. Or I'm gonna find a rich aunt or a rich uncle, or I'm gonna get that inheritance or whatever that is. That's just a pipe dream. It may happen, but I doubt it. Or maybe it's getting that huge raise or that promotion that you've been dreaming of. Or you're going to find some money, you're going to be traveling behind an armored car and the back doors are going to open, it's going to fly out, and there you are, stuff it in your pockets, and you're all set. You know, that's not the deal. It's the real stuff, the real resources you already have that's in you, that's there. The stuff that you have. First thing you got if you're here, and if you're deciding you're going to be connected to this community, you got this. You got a community of resources, and that's what they had there. They had at least 5,000 men. They had 12 guys. They had who knows how many women and children. That was a resource that God wanted to use. Those disciples, by the way, it wasn't just those 12. Here's the definition of a disciple. It's somebody who's running after Jesus. That's about it. If that's what you're doing, I don't care how far or how near you are to God, how, if you feel like you must be a million miles away because you've done a bunch of terrible stuff, if you are trying to look for Jesus, you're a disciple in the making. You're on the way. And so those people who left the crowd on the other side of the lake and took the time to run all the way around, they are now beginning to get what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they all have some resources that can be used as they work together. So if you are willing, by the way, to work with Jesus and to walk with Jesus and to work with this community of faith and to do your part in dealing with the issues in your life, I've talked with a pastor about this. We can make you this promise. You will not go into the toilet if you are part of this body. You are not alone. That's one of the reasons why Hallie and I joined here because as we looked around, we said to ourselves, this is a great community to be involved in. As we go through our tough time, we got you and we're so grateful. We're so grateful that we have, that's a huge resource. You know how many people there are out there who don't have nobody? That guy who won the lottery, he ends up alone. He died alone in a hospice care place without any money. Thank God he had some wonderful hospice care people to help him to die. But you don't have to do that if you're part of the body of Christ. And of course, in the midst of the body, Christ is who? It's Jesus. Jesus at work through his people can do amazing things. And then, yes, there are your material resources. Take a moment to reach into your pocket. Or if you're carrying a pocketbook, open it up. and Just see what you can touch there. Some of you are going to brush past some keys. Those keys symbolize something for you, something that you have, a place that you have. 
Some of you are going to touch some money. Reach for your cell phone, your smartphone if you have it. Open it up. Turn it on. Take a look at the apps. All of those apps, I got about 156 of them. All of this stuff is stuff that God can use, is resources, resources. Many of them are free, but they can be used for things. You see, you may say to yourself, I got nothing. Ah, you got a lot. You got a lot. So in terms of your community, whatever it is, your Lord and your stuff, what do you have? What are your real resources? And again, don't be over-spiritualized about your life in Christ. He wants to use your real stuff, the things that you have. Take a moment just to think about what you have that could be put to good use for God. So with those resources in hand, Jesus gets to work. The story concludes. Verse 39. Jesus directed his disciples to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So again, the gospel writers don't say that Jesus just simply said, here, here's your bread, and those things pop up in this giant pile. That's not what it says. It says that he distributed what was there, and the disciples took it, and this is where the miracle happened. They turned They come back saying to themselves, that's it, we're done, we're tapped out, why is he even starting to serve? And they go back and there it is, there's some more. And they go out and they have to say, you think there'll be some more? And they come back and there's more, and there's more, and there's more. That five loaves and two fishes turns into a feed fest for thousands and there's basketfuls of leftover pieces, the stuff they couldn't eat like the head of the fish. That's the miracle. You see, when God provides, he doesn't just kind of drop it down and say, here it is, bam, it's all taken care of. More often than not, it requires faith from us to look at him and say, can you? And he says, just come and see. That's what he often says, come see. See what I can do. And so the question is, what do you have? How big is your God? What's your view of God? Can he work through you? Does he have to prove it to you time and time again? Do you have to see a pile full of money drop down in front of you? Or can you trust God for that next job or that next opportunity or that next time that you can give away and trust that he's going to provide for you in return? So we need to think about what God can do for us. He's going to bless the ordinary stuff of our life as long as we give it to him. He will bless extraordinarily as we see the ordinary in him. And it's not only what God can do for us, but what God can do through us. If we can approach him with a thankful attitude for the resources that we've been given, and as we faithfully serve, even when it seems impossible, amazing things can happen, and we'll pick up the pieces and see the abundance of God. So in terms of what God has, and your faith in it and in him, 
And it only needs to be as little as a mustard seed. As you note your needs and the needs of others, what do you have? What good God do through you this week? Now, some of us here are what some writer calls Monday morning atheists. Here on Sundays, we believe a lot of God. But on Monday morning, when it comes to our work or our neighborhood or our school or whatever it is, God's a million miles away. But that's where he's going to work. What might God do through you? What could God do? What does God have for you? Why not ask him that question? Ask him to work in your situation or in the situations of others right now. Take a moment. So Lord Jesus, today we've been invited to think about the needs of the people all around this church building. But then you've invited us to think about the needs in our own hearts and to stop the kind of denial business and get in touch with that. And the needs of the people that are immediately around us as well. And then to count the resources that you've given to us that you can use to meet those needs. Some of them and perhaps all of them. And that you can do amazing things through us. So come, Lord, come, Lord, and do what only you can do. There does seem to be a sea of need around us, but with you there's an ocean of provision provided there's a boat full of disciples like us who can connect you with the needs that are in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.